This is the intersection of faith and the culture. It's the Wallbuilder Show, where we take on the hot topics of the day from a biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective. Thanks so much for joining us today. We, uh, you know, we appreciate you as a listener. We also want to turn you into a partner, and uh, and I don't mean that just financially. I know we, you hear that a lot in, in ministry. Be our partner, and and that just means donating. No, we want you to be a partner in terms of saving the country. We want you to be a partner in terms of taking action in your community to be the leader there in your community. And, and we give stuff away for you to be able to do that. Of course, the program itself, equipping and inspiring and educating uh, every day of the week, Monday through Friday. But also we want you to become a Constitution Coach, and that's free. You can do that at constitutioncoach.com. You sign up there for free, and uh, we give you tons of courses. I mean, you get American Campfire Revival with uh, Kirk Cameron. You get our Biblical Citizenship course. You get Constitutional defense of your family and freedom you get constitutional live all of those programs in your coach dashboard and we even train you for free to be a coach so all of that's for free you don't have to donate to be a part of that but it does equip you to be the catalyst in your community for restoring biblical values and and constitutional principles Um, however we do ask that you donate as well you don't have to do that to become a coach you get all those materials but of course it takes fuel in the fire that's the way that we're able to give away the course for free it's the way we're able to train pastors and and legislators and young people and teachers and all of these different things that we're doing here at wall builders to rebuild the walls rebuild the foundations so that we may no longer be a reproach so if you can do that if if god puts that on your heart we encourage you to do that at our website wallbuilderslive.com today Make that one time our monthly contribution. We appreciate you coming alongside us in that way and also as a Constitution coach in your community. All right, David and Tim, later in the program, David Dearson will be with us from the Pacific Legal Foundation. We're going to be talking about a really important issue uh, that could affect um, everyone out there in, in terms of you know what government can do in terms of forcing sale of your property. It all comes back to who owns the property and and, uh, and, and you know, do, do we allow government to take more money than what's owed to you? It's a Fifth Amendment issue. It'll be interesting to talk about. Uh, but we've got something coming up cool later in this week. We're not going to start until Wednesday, first day of February, is when we'll kick it off. And it's uh, some hero stories that most people uh, don't know. Most of the guys and gals we're going to be talking about throughout February are are unsung heroes of the American Revolution. Some of them, if they followed Wild Builders for a while, they might have heard of. Uh, but Tim, tell us about the American Hero series and what people can look forward to this week. Yeah, so it, it, for some of you, you might have already seen this. We sent out an email blast. We've tried to post it on social media. Just a heads up, this is coming. Um, because this is something that certainly if you're a teacher, if if you are a, a parent, if you're a homeschool parent, if you're a grandparent, uh, this is something that you you probably want to get. We have 20 heroes that we're going to highlight for the month of February because there are 20 Monday through Fridays in February. Uh, and so this is something that if kids are in school every single day, you can have a hero of the day. And actually, that's what we're going to do. We're going to start on February 1st. We're going to have a hero of the day. And every single day, we're going to go through a new hero, try to introduce the, really, the American public. I was going to say the rising generation, but really, everybody needs to learn this. We're going to try to introduce people to some of these heroes that are really forgotten heroes and in, in the era of the 1619 Project and critical race theory, when we're hearing such a different narrative, one that's really devoid of truth in so many ways, we want to make sure that we can point people back to some of these stories. So. If you want to be prepared for this, you can go to the Wall Builders website, look for the American Hero Series. You can get all 20 of these. They're really short. It's only about a page and a half of, of part of the story. And really, we try to highlight the part of the story of why they're significant, of what their contribution was. Uh, so if you want to do a deeper dive, you definitely can go on the Wall Builders website. You can do a lot deeper dive into their story, who they were, what they contributed along the way. 
but if you want to get this this page and a half, it's really it's an introduction to the individual, something totally worth doing. You can get those. You even can follow along with us as we go. Guys, it's something I'm really excited about because for for years, we've told people, you need to go back and, and learn these individuals. In fact, for like a, the 56 signers of the declaration, we, we have kind of this running joke that most people can't even name five of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. And we just said, you know, instead of just joking with people that they don't know very much history, let's just go back and let's start writing little short bios, short stories on these individuals that people can can kind of begin to learn some of these stories, learn some some of these heroes of American history. And that's what we're going to start on February 1st. So I'm, I'm super excited about this. But for more information, people can go to the Wall Builders website and look for the American Heroes series. All right, guys, David Dearson will be with us when we come back from the break. But the, the topic, uh, you know, if you haven't dealt with a foreclosure or anybody in your family hasn't dealt with a foreclosure or a lawsuit for, for tax, back taxes or that sort of thing, this may be a foreign subject to you. But just imagine uh, that you that you only owe, I don't know, let's use easy math, $2,000 on uh, some, you know, property that maybe, maybe you had a, a vacant lot or something like that. And it's worth $10,000 and they foreclose on you and they keep the $8,000 extra instead of paying it to you. That's what's happening to people. And so this is a really important topic and, and really a violation of property rights. Yeah, it is. And it's something that we've seen kind of growing over recent years. You know, as government spends more than it has, it's got to come up with more money. So it can raise taxes, it can do other things. But interestingly, I was talking to a state rep who's running a bill on this. There's a thing called civil asset forfeiture, which is kind of related to what we're talking about today. But what they do is these these city police departments are funding themselves by seizing property from from individuals. And so if they think you're a drug dealer, they're allowed to take basically everything you got. It's called civil asset forfeiture. And you can law enforcement can take all these assets. So you you got somebody who's smoked marijuana. Okay, we're going to take your car, your house, your everything else. And that'll fund our police department for the next eight days. And so I was seeing from the state representative who's got a bill to kind of really change this. Uh, if they're going to be funded, it's fine. And we're all for police departments, but funding it by creating. And he, he told me that about 80 percent of the police departments now have uh, entire departments on civil asset forfeiture who fund themselves by what they seize from from others. And so it's a real bad incentive, because if you want your your department to grow, you got to seize more property. And that's kind of what's happening here. Rick, the example you gave uh, of someone owing $2,000 and they, they confiscate something from you worth 10 and they keep the eight. That's just not right. So there is now a case that has made it all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court because this has been going on for a while where government keeps the difference in what's owed and, and what's paid and they don't give you the difference back. And so it's now at the Supreme Court, which this is going to be a huge thing. I mean, this is the Fifth Amendment. This is Eighth Amendment. There's a whole lot of amendments that, that are, are dealing with this. And so uh, Pacific Legal Foundation has got this case at the Supreme Court, and Dave Dearson is part of the team with that case. And so this is going to be a real good one to catch up on. All right, guys, quick break. We'll be right back. David Dearson, our special guest here today on The Wall Builder Show. This is Tim Barton from Wall Builders with another moment from American history. Founding fathers John Adams and Thomas Jefferson originally worked closely together, but later became ardent opponents. This troubled Dr. Benjamin Rush, a signer of the Declaration, who knew both of them very well. In the Bible, 2 Corinthians 5.18 tells us that God has given each of us the ministry of reconciliation. Dr. Rush believed this and set out to bring the two back together. 
It took a while, but Adams and Jefferson once again became close friends. And looking back on his role in helping bring about this reconciliation, Dr. Rush stated, It will give me pleasure, as long as I live, to reflect that I have been in any degree instrumental in affecting this reunion of two souls destined to be dear to each other and motivated with the same dispositions to serve their country, though in different ways. For more information about Dr. Benjamin Rush and his other remarkable achievements, go to wallbuilders.com. Welcome back to Wallbuilders. Thanks for staying with us. We've got David Dearson with us. We're going to be talking about a tax issue that could be coming to your community, so pay attention. Pacific Legal Foundation, thanks for all your good work, David. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks very much, Rick. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, man, I've uh, I've always uh, been an anti-property tax guy. That's why I ran for the legislature 20 years ago. I uh, couldn't get it done while I was there. More and more people talking about abolishing property taxes for exactly what's happening here. People don't own their own homes. They're serfs on feudal land, and once those taxes stack up, now we're seeing an abuse of, of uh, using that to take the home uh, from the homeowner. So tell us where this is happening and what people can do to look out for it. Sure thing. Well, it's happening, unfortunately, in about a dozen states across the country. Um, but, uh, you know, we just had the United States Supreme Court uh, agree to hear a case that we have out of Minnesota, um, which promises to put an end to this thing. So we're very excited about that. And that's, uh, I mean, that would, in that case, obviously apply to everybody. So it takes care of the, all, all 12 states. It wouldn't apply to just that state. And what, what's, the, what, what's the basis of the lawsuit? Sure. So, well, you're absolutely right. Uh, we're, we're asking the Supreme Court for a ruling on the federal constitution. So their ruling would uh, impact laws across the nation. Um, this lawsuit is out of Minnesota. It concerns Geraldine Tyler. Geraldine is a 94-year-old widow, and she lives in an assisting, assisted living facility. But she also owned a condo since uh, 1999. And unfortunately, at some point, she fell behind on paying her property taxes. Um, she ended up owing about $2,300 in property taxes. And once they tack on all the statutory interest and fees, that $2,300 balloons up to $15,000. Wow. Okay, so when we can argue that, uh, you know, some of those the fines and interests are excessive, but uh, leaving that aside, you know, the government has a claim there to $15,000 from her in property tax debt. They take her condo and they sell it for $40,000 and they pocket every penny of that surplus. So that's $25,000 uh, in the equity in her condo that the government really has no legitimate claim to, but which it uh, stole for its own purposes. And like yeah. I said, this happens in about uh, a dozen states around the country. So that's a, that's a takings, right? Uh, uh, no just compensation. That's not just compensation. There's no compensation. There's no compensation. That's right. We argue that people have a private property right in the equity value of their homes and that the government can't just come and take that equity without uh, compensating you for it, without paying you back the difference between what you owed and what they took. Now, we also have another claim in the case that aside from uh, taking a property without just compensation, that this is an excessive fine under the Eighth Amendment. You know, everybody remembers the Eighth Amendment for the prohibition on cruel and unusual punishment, but uh, it also includes a, a provision against excessive fines. And we're arguing that uh, taking somebody's entire home uh, and keeping all of the equity when all they owed was a, a relatively small tax debt is an unconstitutional excessive fine. David, I love you guys. I'm telling you, Pacific Legal comes up with the best legal theories. I mean, I, first of all, 
on the Fifth Amendment thing, I've been saying for years that the Endangered Species Act is a takings without uh, without compensation. Most people think of the Fifth Amendment only as I plead the Fifth. They don't know about the other stuff in it. Right. You guys are taking it to a whole other. I, I never thought about using the Fifth Amendment for a takings claim on these on these tax takings. I, I think that's brilliant. And then the excessive fines uh, on the Eighth Amendment. You guys do such a great job on this. How have the courts responded so far at the, at the district and appellate court level to what, or am I wrong on this being a novel? This seems like a novel perspective. Has this been litigated before? And just kind of walk me through some of how y'all came up with this and what's been out there before this and how the courts responded. All of that in a few minutes. Good luck, man. Sure thing. I, I think I can handle most of that. You know, if you go way back to, to the founding era and to the early days of the Republic, you get a lot of um, legal treatises that talk about uh, foreclosure issues, including the collection of taxes, and they they mentioned that uh, that everywhere in the country, you know, in every state that existed in the republic at that time, that they would, uh, you know, have some mechanism for protecting a property owner's equity interest. Either they'd force a sale and give you back the surplus, um, or you know, they would uh, they would take only a very small portion of interest in your property in the first place, and they wouldn't actually confiscate. Uh, your home and, you know, leave you homeless. So in the very early days, uh, this kind of thing didn't happen. You start to see these laws um, get passed in a couple of states around the middle of the 20th century. And you do have some state Supreme Court cases from around that era uh, that uh, that strike down those laws as unfair. So example, in, in Rhode Island, these kind of laws were uh, were invalidated by Rhode Island Supreme Court back in the 70s. Excuse me, I, I'm, I'm thinking of New Hampshire, not Rhode Island. But in any case, um, it, it hasn't been uh, much addressed recently until Pacific Legal Foundation started getting involved in the issue. Uh, we won at the Supreme Court of Michigan in 2019, which really helped build up a lot of steam and get the ball rolling here. But the Michigan courts only issued a ruling uh, under Michigan law. So they said that uh, that this home equity theft violates the Constitution of Michigan, but they declined to make a ruling about the federal Constitution. Now, as far as the appellate courts go, there is a split of authority, which is one reason, I think, why the, why the Supreme Court was attracted to taking the case. Uh, in the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, we've, had, we, we've had rulings confirming that this does uh, violate the Fifth Amendment, that it is a taking without just compensation. But unfortunately, the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is uh, where Minnesota is and where this case comes from, uh, they ruled otherwise. And basically, their attitude was that, well, your your property rights are created by state law in the first place. Uh, and the state law of Minnesota is that, uh, you know, if you fail to pay your property taxes, you lose everything. And once they foreclose, you don't have any property rights left. So there's no property to be taken. But of course, that's that's sort of begging the question, because uh, the equity in property is treated as a property right in basically every context you could imagine uh, in, in basically every state, including Minnesota. Of course, private lenders, you know, if, if they foreclose on your mortgage, they have to give you back the surplus. Yeah. Uh, and, and equity in your home is uh, is property. You can take out a home equity line of credit. You can use it to secure a loan that way. Uh, it's property that gets uh, divided up in, in divorce cases. So there's really no question that under the state law of Minnesota, the equity in your property is exactly that. It's a property right. 
um, that you have. But uh, for some reason, the government thinks that when they're the ones doing the lending, uh, they get to play by uh, rules, uh, different rules than, than everybody else has to play by. And that's mm. what we're trying to stop. Well, man, I, I wish you guys absolutely the best for the people of uh, the country and, and, and for the Constitution itself. What is the uh, what's kind of the timeline? So they uh, they granted cert, I guess, just recently. And, and when do you uh, think you guys will hear the case? That's right. So we'll be doing a briefing throughout the spring, you know, arguing the case uh, with the other side back and forth in papers. And then we expect it hasn't been scheduled yet, but we expect the Supreme Court will hear arguments sometime in April. And uh, we'll hope for a ruling a few months after that. Love it, man. Well, we look forward to getting a, getting an update from you. Uh, let me ask you a general question before I let you go, David, because you're on the front lines dealing with this all the time, and, and, and y'all's team is, um, I just, I don't know, maybe I'm, may, maybe I'm too much of an optimist, but I feel like there's this resurgence of the Constitution over the last couple of years. I mean, obviously, all the big decisions last summer from the Supreme Court, but it just seemed that the interest level from people, the, the number of lawsuits, the, the, the novelty of the, of the arguments in, in a positive way, bringing back, like you said, these you know, the philosophy from the founding era on, on, on property rights. I mean, how do, how do you feel as somebody that does this every day when you just kind of gauge where the winds are blowing right now and where the culture is going? Do you feel that same resurgence or am I kind of just in, in, in an in a echo chamber where I am and, and in a bubble of, of people that love the Constitution? No, I think uh, I think you're right in a lot of ways. I think uh, this this new court that we have is much more open to hearing certain uh, constitutional arguments and, and to reading the Constitution in a particular way, which I think opens up the opportunity to make a lot of arguments that might not have uh, succeeded in the past. I think you also ha- you're starting to see people litigate state constitutional issues. Uh, in a way that hasn't really been uh, done before, and in areas where you know the Supreme Court has has uh, has ruled that the federal constitution may or may not be protective of certain rights, you can sometimes uh, you can sometimes have recourse to the state constitution where uh, it may be more protective. So you know, I'll give you an example when it comes to economic liberty, uh, your right to earn a living, your right to open a business. Um, the Supreme Court uh, traditionally. Uh, and even still hasn't been especially open to arguments that the Constitution protects those kind of economic rights, uh, because they say, well, they're not specifically enumerated in, you know, in the federal Constitution. But if you go to certain, uh, certain states, their Supreme Courts have ruled that under the state Constitution, actually you do have certain protections for uh, opening a business and, and for making a living. Uh, and, and tend to see the Constitution less as whether you have certain rights that are enumerated and more as whether the government has uh, certain powers yes. uh, to control your life. Um, so I, I certainly think we're seeing uh, some exciting changes in, in constitutional litigation, both at the federal and state level. That, that's so interesting, man. I mean, I wish we had a you know three-hour podcast here to keep going, because cause even what you just said, it's like, you know, where does the Ninth Amendment come into play that, that they're not right. supposed to be enumerated and, and, and it's the it's the, the powers of the government that, that, that are enumerated and, and more and more people seem to be understanding that, but it's almost like you have to start from scratch with that and begin to explain um, you know, those things. But man, thank goodness for you guys. Uh, your website, pacificlegal.org. I encourage people to go there today, donate, get on the email list. That's how David and, and, and the whole team there are able to fight these fights and and uh, often, uh, you know, the, the people end up in these situations. They don't have the money to hire legal counsel, and so these organizations are, are critical for us. David, God bless you, man. Appreciate you coming on today. Look forward to getting you back soon. Thanks very much, Rick. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back with David and Tim Barton.
Hey, this is Tim Barton with Wall Builders. And as you've had the opportunity to listen to Wall Builders Live, you've probably heard the wealth of information about our nation, about our spiritual heritage, about the religious liberties, about all the things that makes America exceptional. And you might be thinking, as incredible as this information is, I wish there was a way that I could get one of the Wall Builders guys to come to my area and share with my group, whether it be a church, whether it be a Christian school or public school or some political event or activity. If you're interested in having a Wall Builder speaker come to your area, you can get on our website at www.wallbuilders.com and there's a tab for scheduling. And if you'll click on that tab, you'll notice there's a list of information from speakers' bios to events that are already going on. And there's a section where you can request an event to bring this information about who we are, where we came from, our religious liberties and freedoms. Go to the Wall Builders website and bring a speaker to your area. This is David Barton with another moment from America's history. In the case Lee versus Wiseman, the Supreme Court ruled that for an adult to mention the word God at a public graduation constituted both psychological and religious coercion against the students. Yet consider the actions of William Samuel Johnson, a signer of the Constitution and one of America's leading educators who served as the first president of Columbia College. At his graduation exercises, William Samuel Johnson declared to the students, you this day have received a public education, the purpose whereof has been to qualify you better to serve your Creator and your country. Your first great duties, you are sensible, are those you owe to heaven, to your Creator and Redeemer. Founding Father William Samuel Johnson believed that a public graduation was an appropriate setting to remind students of the duties which they owed God. For more information on God's hand in American history, contact Wall Builders at 1-800-8-REBUILD. We're back here on the Wobbler Show. Thanks to David Dirksen for joining us and to all of our legal beagles, as uh, we used to call them back in the day, uh, out there that are on the front lines with all these different organizations. We sure appreciate what they're doing. And uh, David and Tim, as I was talking to David about it, I mean, I, you know, it seems novel to me. I've just never thought about this as a that they fit as a Fifth Amendment takings, and then of course the um, you know unjust punishment that they're talking about. So I love seeing that kind of. Um, I don't know what's the right word. Legal uh, just strategy is a simple way of saying it, but almost lawfare is another word you could use um, from our side instead of the other side. They're usually the ones that are more creative. Well, in, in the context of we're talking about the Fifth and Eighth Amendment, let me just read them because, Rick, you talked about them. He talked about them. just to make sure everybody understands what the Constitution says on this. Uh, the Fifth Amendment says no person shall be held answer for capital or otherwise infamous crimes, et cetera. It's a long amendment. But the last part of it says nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. You can't take my condo for f public funding without just compensation. You can't take the $15,000 taxes that I owe out of my $40,000 condo and keep my condo. So that's the just compensation, Rick, as you called it, the takings clause. The Eighth Amendment says excessive bail shall not be required, nor excessive fines imposed nor cruel and unusual punishments inflicted. So three things there. We often hear about this with capital punishment. They call that cruel and unusual punishment, or at least the anti-capital punishment people do. But the part that, that is significant here is you can't impose excessive fines. Imposing a fine at $25,000 when the amount due was only $10,000. By the way, the amount due was only $2,500, but they imposed fines up to $15,000. And now they're imposing a fine up to $40,000 because they want to keep the rest. That's the Fifth and the Eighth Amendment, and that's what this is really about. 
And if the government can redefine those amendments, oh my goodness, there's no protection for private property. And by the way, I'll just jump out. I don't think private property, and you know, David pointed out that that this thing that, well, the other courts, the previous courts that ruled that, no, that's not private property. This is this is government stuff. This is not just private property, and it's not a matter of the Bill of Rights. This is a matter of an inalienable right. This goes back to God. And, and the Bill of Rights simply codified things that God had already talked about. So this really is a religious liberty issue as much as anything else, because this is a right that comes from God. And if you don't have the God-given right to have private property— if the government can determine what private property you can have, it is certainly not an inalienable right. And so even in this condo, even in the fines and everything else, when they take our money, they're taking our private property. And that's why the Fifth and the Eighth Amendments are there. So this really is a religious liberty issue as much as it is a civil uh, asset forfeiture issue or anything else. This is this is significant. Well, guys, I know this is something, too, that uh, the Texas legislature is actually looking at some property tax relief this year. Uh, you know, different states handle it differently. And this is something that certainly states can have strategies for how they handle taxes, how they handle some of the property tax. But the bottom line is that nobody should be able to come in and take what belongs to you. And this is where we say with some of the property tax issue is that the, the local municipalities, right, your, your local county, your state, they apparently think that you're just leasing your home if they can come and take it from you if you didn't pay taxes, et cetera. A lot of issues we can get into, but this is something that I do think more people are becoming aware of and certainly grateful for legal groups like this, for David and his team, what they're doing to fight and push back. Uh, this is something that I think we have to try to start winning on lots of levels. Certainly legislation is, is a key, but getting some of these legal victories in court is also a really big deal. Yeah, and I tell you, this is really going to reshape the way civil government thinks about income and, and really property, where its money comes from. If the court goes with the Fifth and Eighth Amendment the way we understand it, the way this has been done for, for previous generations, this is going to be a real blow to government growth. This will be something that really slows them down. It'll shut off a source of the income that they often use. And, you know, we talk state legislatures are working on this as well. But if the Supreme Court gets this, this is an earthquake across uh, progressive bow. Well, folks, we're out of time for today. We sure appreciate you listening to the Wall Builder Show and taking action as we talked about at the top of the program. You can do that as a constitution coach. You can do that through a donation. Uh, you can do it simply by sharing the program. Just take a, a link to the program, share it on your social media, send it out to your friends and family, get them to start listening and learning and then acting on that. Uh, for some reason in, in 2023, what keeps coming to mind for me is, is we have to learn truth we have to defend truth, and we have to speak that truth. Now, David, of course, talks about that in detail in our Biblical Citizenship course, but that just seems you know, like such a simple thing for us to do. If we'll just learn, spend some time every day learning truth, and if we know it, then we can defend it, and that's sometimes writing our legislator, calling our legislator. Uh, maybe it's uh, going and testifying at a committee. Maybe it's just defending truth in conversation with someone this week but then also spreading truth. And that means getting people over to your house and watching a, a couple of these DVDs or going through one of our Constitution courses or maybe hosting it at your church. There's a lot of ways that you can do that. But start thinking about that. How can you learn truth, speak truth, and defend that truth? I did that backwards, didn't I? Learn truth, <laughs> defend truth, and spread truth. That's really what I wanted to share with you. Anyway, do those three things. Speaking truth, of course, is part of that process. So any way that you can be a part of preserving this for future generations. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to The Wall Builder Show. We stand undivided.